You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 601 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Monday morning here in Vegas. If you missed episode 600, I recorded it probably about, I don't know, 11, 12 hours ago. But uh, the Hawks did something, uh, and that's why I am back to talk about more things on the podcast. Because as I said at the end of episode 600, I would only record before Tuesday evening if the Hawks did something. And they absolutely did And signing Jabari Parker to a surprising two-year, $13 million contract that has a player option for the 2020-21 season. The Hawks, um, after this move, will have $6.2 million in salary remaining under the cap, um, according to Jeff Siegel of Early Bird Rights, and uh, that could be as much as $7.5 million still remaining for the Hawks if they were to move on from Jalen Adams. So that's kind of just to set the stage a little bit of what um, the, of the cap ramifications of what transpired here. But uh, obviously plenty to discuss with Parker as a player, both um, in terms of on-court fit, contract, um, just the roster as it stands now, his injury history, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll just dive right in to this one because it was pretty surprising. Uh, honestly, I talked previously on the pod about how I thought if the Hawks did anything substantial in free agency, it might be at the center spot. And uh, one of those things were Parker's not a center in any way, shape, or form. So uh, I will say on the optimistic side, for Jabari, he's a very, very talented offensive player. You do not become the number two pick overall in the draft with his skill set without being very um, offensively talented. And uh, in my opinion, after going through a little bit of his history here, it's the best situation he's ever been in probably in terms of culture, situation, coaching staff, etc. Obviously, he was a big part of things in Milwaukee when he was uh, the top, you know, the number two pick in the draft and averaged 20 points per game for a full season. But he's had injuries. Um, there are two major uh, torn left ACL injuries for Parker, one as a rookie that cost him part of the season in 2014-15, and then again in 2017, um, which kind of almost pushed him out of Milwaukee just the way that, that all went down. So, you know, the injuries are documented. Um, two, two ACLs in the same knee is probably not the greatest thing in the world, and honestly, he is still young. He's 24 years old, and that gives you some optimism, but since then, he's not really been as explosive. You know, now that he's two-plus years away from that injury, maybe he gets some of that back with a full offseason of health. And work and the Hawks have a very good training staff with Chelsea Lane, so that's very helpful and optimistic as well. But the injuries do matter in this case. Um, offensively, is definitely the positive side of the floor for Jabari Parker. He gives the Hawks a shot creator that they have needed quite a bit, especially when Trey Young left the floor. Aside from Trey Young and John Collins, they do not have they do not have a lot of shot creation on the roster right now because even DeAndre Hunter, who they just uh, obviously spent a substantial investment in, Hunter is not really a shot creator. He's more of someone who's more of a play finisher, spot up guy, maybe can attack some closeouts. And there's some offensive utility with him, but not someone you're just going to give the ball to and get out of the way. Same with Kevin Herter. There's some creation there, but not someone who's, who's going to be your uh, offensive engine right now, uh, at, at least with what we saw last season. So with Parker, he's comfortable with the ball in his hands. He's not shy about getting shots up. Career numbers are pretty solid for Parker. Um, obviously, you know that's mitigated a little bit with the way that he has played on the defensive end in his career. But uh, as a, as a career offensive player, forty nine percent from the floor, thirty four percent from three is not perfect. But he's definitely a threat to shoot from three. And uh, over a two year sample, at the end of his uh, tenure in Milwaukee, he shot the ball very well. Last year took a step back, which is worth pointing out, back to thirty one percent from three combined between Chicago and his time in Washington. But as a career number, fifty five percent true shooting, very solid. And uh, honestly, his two worst seasons in terms of efficiency were his first two seasons when he was very very 
very young in Milwaukee. Since then, his true shooting has been about 56-57%, and that's um, you know pretty good player on large volume on the offensive end of the floor. Um, Elsewhere, though, it should be said, you know, in the last two games, only 95 games appeared in the last two. You know, his shootings take a little bit, a little bit of a step back in an overall sense. And um, you know, fit-wise, I'm not sure how it's going to work necessarily. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But he's, for me, he's a power forward. And uh, the Hawks, of course, have a uh, a power forward of the future, power forward of the present in John Collins. So, and I'm not sure those guys could ever play together necessarily, given the defensive end of the floor. So there's some questions with how that's going to work. Uh, let's just get to the defense now before we take a break in a second. But um, the defense is really bad. That's Something that has to be said over and over again about Jabari Parker. He is, um, at least he has been one of the worst defensive players in the entire league. That's not hyperbole in his career to this point in time. Granted, he is still young and he's only been in the league for five seasons. But, um, you know, 24 years old, he's, he's 6'8", like, he's, he's listed at 245, um, not the most explosive guy in the world, obviously, um, especially after the, after the knee injuries kind of, t- kind of took their toll on him. Not a non-athlete by any means, he's, a, he's just fine athletically, um, but still not, not, not explosive and his recognition has been really bad at the NBA level, not quick in space. And that's why I think he's more of a power forward, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. He has to be a power forward. He absolutely cannot guard wings with what he's been able to show in his career to this point. And uh, it's, a, it's a substantial negative defensively. Now, if you want to be optimistic and talk about how the, how maybe Lloyd Pierce and company can coax better production out of him defensively, I would not be surprised by that. As I mentioned before, He's someone who has not been in the great situations in the world. He was in Milwaukee when it was a different regime. It was the Jason Kidd era. He was not particularly well coached there, probably. Uh, and then he went to Chicago, where that's been a mess in the last couple of seasons, and then Washington at the end of last year. So he's not really been in a, in a strong system. But some of that is on him, and he's not been the greatest defender in the world. In fact, he's been actively bad defensively in his career. So that's something that you want to circle and come back to, and something that, of course, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you will know that that kind of stuff can bother me more than most. Um, but defensively, it's not great. And uh, but you know, optimistically, if he's in a, if he's in a better role, a more um, reduced role as sort of a, a backup power forward type, come in, get your offensive uh, stuff going through him, and maybe mitigate his impact defensively. The Hawks do have some some interesting defensive personnel now with. Evan Turner is a good defender. They have DeAndre Hunter, of course, who's a pretty good defender. Um, Cam Reddish has, has some defensive skills. They have some defensive personnel that, that they haven't had recently. On the flip side, they lose Dwayne Dedman and um, the big man spot right now with Alex Lynn and Bruno Fernando. Both guys are capable of playing defense at a, at a, de- at a decent clip. Fernando has some better upside on that, on that end of the floor, but Lynn's just average-ish defensively, maybe even a little bit below average depending on what you want to see out of him. So it's still a checkered roster defensively, and throwing Parker as an actively bad defender on the floor is not the great situation. Um, particularly if you want to pair him with Trey Young and like pick and roll defense, that's never going to end well. Um, so you know, it's, it's actually a situation where you almost want to pseudo stagger Jabari Parker and Trey Young because having those two guys on the floor defensively at the same time is probably going to be untenable, at least in terms of against the top level of competition. At, you know, across the league, but it's, it's it's more of a playoff problem than a regular season problem, and that's something we can address down the line. But uh, defensively, it's not great for Jabari Parker, and we'll uh, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, after this quick break, we'll come back talk more about the contract and the fit, everything else that's going on with Parker after the signing with the Hawks. All right, and we're back. Um, the contract is very interesting. I got a lot of mentions immediately on Twitter, and sort of a flood of reaction to the contract. Most of it centered on the player option. That is a curious choice. As I said before at the very top of this, um, some of the upside that you would get from Jabari Parker and some of the reason to sign him is as an upside play as a former top pedigree kind of guy who's really talented if he were to pop and play very well this year, he would probably opt out of that contract, which is, you know, player options are bad for the team always. That's designed to be player friendly and it's designed to be an enticement for the player. 
I'm not sure who the Hawks were bidding against here. You don't want to you don't want to say that the Hawks overpaid considering what his market would be in terms of just overpaying versus not having a market. But you know, I'd, I'd be curious to know what kind of offers Parker was able to garner that were uh, comparable to this as to why the Hawks might have given him a player option because that's a big point of leverage for the player and all downside for the team. Um, with that said, some of the ups, some of the downside risk is also mitigated because the Hawks have a ton, a ton of cap space for next summer. Even with this move on the books, early bird rights tells me that the Hawks still have seventy plus million dollars in projected cap space for next summer, and in a year that does not have a ton of uh, top level free agents. In fact, there is a real scenario where there's not one max player that I want to give a max contract to that hits the market next summer in free agency. Anthony Davis is going to be a free agent, but he's probably going to stay in Los Angeles, et cetera, et cetera. There's not really that flood of top end players. That are available. So having 70 million in cap space take, takes away a lot of the risk and a lot of the downside. It does still matter. You know, cap space can be used for other things that are not free agents and not signings. So having a guy that may be a negative, if Parker were to get injured, if Parker were to just play terribly this season, um, the downside is still present. It's just mitigated considerably by the fact that the Hawks have so much cap space. So, and also the money for this year doesn't matter as much as it would for a different team and different circumstances because the market is basically dead at this point. A lot of the guys um, who are still remaining have now signed. Even this morning, Jamichael Green signed on Monday. Avery Bradley signed. There's guys that are out there that are now off the market, and there really is not a lot of talent available on the market. There are still some intriguing players, but nothing that's uh, going to earth shatter. And uh, with that said, the Hawks still having $6 million in cap space with only one roster spot, maybe two roster spots available if they were to move on from Adams available. They're not really in a, in a money crunch. So using Parker, using this money on Parker is not um, going to kill them necessarily there. Still in a vacuum, as a pure asset contract play, I don't love this because of the fact that they gave him more than I think he um, probably should have commanded given his situation with the injuries and his defense, et cetera. And the player option is very weird and definitely a negative. You know, how sharp of a negative depends on sort of the viewpoint that you want to take here. But in general, it's not optimal because of all, because of the way that the upside is uh, taken away a little bit because of the fact that you know he'll, he'll just opt out if he plays well and if he hits the market and you, you you lose after one season and one season where you're not trying to really compete for a title it's kind of a tough spot to have there but still you know not a, I, I would say I'm lower on the I'm lower on the upside and higher on the downside than some but uh there you go um, fit wise the Hawks now have you know, not a log jam at the forward spots, but they have a lot of different options and a lot of uh, things to consider when trying to project Parker's role at the NBA level. For me, he's more of a four than a three, to be sure. So that said that on the podcast earlier, but I think he, you know, in the modern league with the way that he can't defend wings, he is a four in my opinion. I guess technically he could, he could play the three if you were to pair him with someone like Evan Turner or someone like um, DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish. If you wanted to call those guys the four and him the three, whatever you want to say, if those guys are playing forward together, that can work. But defensively, you can't have Parker guarding wings. So that, that for me, makes him four rather than a three in the modern NBA. The Hawks, of course, made two big-time investments um, in the lottery this year in the draft in small forwards, or at least primary small forwards in DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. Those guys um, really are probably number one and number two on the depth chart at the three right now because the Hawks don't have too much behind them at that spot. They can, of course, use guys like DeAndre Bembry at the three, but the, I think Bembry is just more of a shooting, more, more of a shooting guard size player. Alan Crabb is more of a two. Kevin Hurricane, I guess, functions at the three a little bit, but still more of a two at this point in time. So 
that's it for the three. I, I, I think for me, though, I, I would not project Parker as a three. It's an option, but it's something you can, uh, I would say, is definitely a secondary one. Um, at the four, though, there are some bodies. You know, John Collins is clearly the entrenched starter, the uh, either the best or second best player on the team, depending on how you feel about Trey Young right now. Collins is someone who's going to be playing the, the four the majority of the time. He can play the five, obviously, but the Hawks have been pretty clear that he's a, he's a primary power forward for now. He might see some small ball lamps, and honestly, you really can't play Collins and Parker together defensively. That's not going to work. So uh, I think if you're playing Parker at the four, it's more likely to be, or at least needs to be, with someone like Alex Lynn or even Bruno Fernando, just for defensive purposes and size purposes. But you know, Collins is the full-time four. He'll be playing you know 30 minutes a game-ish at the power forward spot. So that's of course the top line thing. But then behind him, you have Evan Turner, who is the primary backup point guard right now, but also can play the four a little bit. Has played the four in the past. You have Chandler Parsons, who is a three-four, but is probably more of a four, just like Parker is because of his defense and the fact that he's been hampered by knee stuff. And then you have a Mark Spellman, who is a 4-5. I talked to Spellman, it says on yesterday's podcast, but he thinks of himself as a power forward. But with this move, I think Spellman almost has to play more center than power forward because you can't bring Jabari Parker in and have him be healthy and not playing power forward minutes because Mark Spellman is. I think Spellman is, I've always thought Spellman was more of a 5. This move might signal him to be more of a full-time 5. And we'll see how that feels. In general, though, for his playing time purposes, unless Spellman is going to be ahead of Fernando in the pecking order at the backup center spot, not great for him. Um, a lot of people were asking me about Vince Carter. Um, I would say this move definitely is not good for the prospects of Vince coming back. As of yesterday, and the way that the Hawks were talking about him on the broadcast, you know, Lloyd Pierce was referencing Vince, was asked about Vince on the broadcast during the game, and they were very high on Vince. They love Vince around here, but honestly, this move is not great news for that marriage continuing. I'm not reporting anything on that by any means, but just the logical common sense stuff here, adding another power forward to the mix. If you bring Vince in now, he almost certainly can't play um, in, in the rotation. And I'm not sure Vince wants to come back in a situation where he can't play minutes. Cause I think he wanted last year. He definitely wanted to play. He said, he said as much this year, if you're bringing him in, he's certainly behind um, Parker in the pecking order of guys. Cause that you're paying him actively. You would have to put him behind Spellman in terms of just the future-facing aspect. Maybe he'd be competing with Parsons, but uh, Vince might want to play more, and just bringing in another power forward here is probably not great news for Vince Carter. We'll see how that happens. Maybe the Hawks still bring him back at the end. They still have a roster spot. If they don't think they have to have a center, if they want to play Amari Spellman as a full-time center, that that might take away the urgency to pick to, to pick up a center, but for me, I would still sign a center if it was my decision. I've been saying that the entire offseason, and especially so after they got rid of Miles Plumley. Um, I think center is the spot that I would use the final roster spot on, or at least if they were to keep Deion Adams the final roster spot, um, I guess ideally you could go in a different direction if you want to just make Vince a priority, but I think this is not great news for Vince Carter. Um, you know, in general, I, I think this move was surprising to me and a lot of other people just because of the fit concerns. This team has been a defensive problem last year. That's probably going to be the case this year as well. Still a very young basketball team. They made substantial investments in guys who project as good defenders in Hunter and Reddish and even Fernando, but um, those guys are rookies, and rookies in general are bad on defense until they are proven otherwise. I really think DeAndre Hunter is going to be pretty good on defense right away because he is a little bit older. He's definitely someone who projects to be good as a defensive player. That's why you're drafting him. But rookies are still rookies, and I think defensively this is going to be kind of a mess of a roster right now. But um, you know, on the optimistic side, Parker's offense and his shot making, I think his shot creation is the biggest element here for the Hawks. That, that'd be the number one thing you could circle in terms of adding Jabari Parker is that the Hawks have struggled without Trey Young on the floor for the last season. They definitely had some trouble creating efficient looks. Parker can get his own offense, and he's someone you can just throw the ball to and say, Jabari, go get, go get us a bucket right now because we need a bucket. That's something he can do that probably more on a level of anybody in the entire roster outside of Young and Collins 
is Parker. He can go ahead and do that. Now, whether you want to run your offense like that is a different question, but if that's a, if that was a priority for Travis Schlenk this summer to get someone who can kind of do it, do that and fill that role, he can do so. You know, backup power forward minutes, I do think that should be his primary role right now as, as it stands on the current roster is just backing up John Collins, playing, you know, 20 minutes a game. I'm not sure he's going to love that, but um, that's kind of where I'd have him right now. We'll see how that looks in the future. But, you know, they gave him real money. This is, this is a substantial investment, and it's not a situation where Parker's not going to be playing if he is, uh, you know, unless he just really, really struggles defensively or has some, you know, fit concerns, some injury concerns. If he's healthy and functioning, he's going to be playing real minutes because you, you don't give out this contract on a rebuilding team to have him not be a fixture in the rotation somewhere along the way. Um, you know, starting lineup-wise, I would not be starting Jamari Parker at the small forward spot. That'd be the one place he can start, and I just I can't see that 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 uh, that forward combination working with him and Collins on a, on a full time basis. But that's just my thoughts right now. We'll see how that unfolds, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about rotations and lineups, etc. But Jabari Parker is now on the Hawks roster. A curious contract, not one that I absolutely hate nor love. I didn't love the situation. And the defensive downside is immense with Parker, but it's still an upside play. He's very, very talented, and if you are looking to be optimistic about this deal, it's not hard to find the optimism. It's just a situation where the fit is not perfect, and I think uh, the player option does mitigate some of the upside here. So, all that to say, that's, that's going to do it for this emergency-level podcast on this Monday morning slash afternoon, depending on where you are um, in Hawksland. I will post this thing, and hopefully the Hawks will make another move between now and Tuesday. Um, unless, it's some, unless it's something pretty crazy, I will not have another podcast until after the Summer League game on Tuesday evening. Here in Vegas, we'll record and add anything else that we want to get to on Parker, etc. We'll talk about that then. Please subscribe to this podcast via the platform of your choice, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all those places. Please subscribe, rate, review, and all that fun stuff. And we'll see everybody on Tuesday.